Hello and welcome to Scanon Podcast. Uh, we are back yet again. Um, this week we have... Luke. And Grace. One week I actually really hope we have Matthew, Mark and Luke. That would be really good <laughs> uh, in that kind of thing. But I'd have to find those people. Alas, we will not do that. Um, no, John's. John's. that yeah, would yeah, be a week yeah. when I would not be there, so you know. Yeah, but there's no place for women in the Bible, Grace. <sighs> you know. Unless I'm like a dead prostitute or something. Hey. Life is hard. Life is hard for dead prostitutes also. Grace is pretty important to, to religion. Yeah. <laughs> Not to derail too early. No, no, Grace, uh, the jokes aside, <laughs> we will keep you along. Marvellous. If, no, if not for just, you know, kind of... For the pure for the, for the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> to, to make us look woke and shit. You know. Wine also Ooh. important to wine also religion. Important. Yeah. I also appreciate wine. Yep. Wine is great. Um, as our usual kind of scenarios play out, we'll have our... Um, Movie news, we'll have our top 10s and we'll have our new releases, which are all very exciting. But we'll start, as we always do, with uh, what we've watched this week. Luke, what do you got? Okay, so I'll start with the worst one and kind of <laughs> That's a good idea build build my up. way up. I like that. Which, uh, it's kind of apropos because the worst one I've got this week might be the worst movie I've ever watched. Wow. And uh, that, there's some competition for that. I'm actually yes. excited to hear about this. I've watched too. a lot of terrible stuff in my time, uh, but... For the 250 podcast, I got lumped with... Well, I'm not lumped. I did volunteer to, to watch it. So I, I did bring this on myself. Do it. And it was at least fun to kind of process talking about it, which was Baby Geniuses, which is a 1999 comedy. <laughs> um, the hesitation in your voice is fatal there, obviously. <laughs> it's, it stars Kathleen Turner, Christopher Lloyd, Kim Cattrall, Peter McNichol, and Ruby D. That feels like a heavily... <laughs> Unfortunately, heavy cast, like like a good a cast, gravely heavy waste. cast. Yes, wasted on this this comedy. The the premise of which is: what if babies secretly were geniuses? What if what if all babies were born with pre-existing knowledge of all things and their own secret language, which they would then over time give up there's this very complicated lore really to to baby geniuses yes, I imagine there's a website that would explain exactly what the fuck I is going on I don't want to go on that website and end up on some kind of list <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah it was it was dreadful doesn't begin to describe the the comedy stylings of baby geniuses which kind of took this is a 1999 film and it kind of took that the great year adorable baby kind of movie trend of baby stay out Baby's Day Out and Look Who's Talking, talking and mm-hmm. movies like that and kind of combines it with the obnoxious attitude of the 1990s um, and the kind of the, the kid power uh, of, of a lot of kind of 90s family focused films. Stuff like, child. Stuff like Home Alone yeah. or, or movies like that where like adults are always idiots, the kid always knows what's really going on and through a series of hilarious catchphrases the kids are going to win the day. Cowabunga. Exactly. I think the nadir of this one is when the the titular baby genius, the sly man, uh, as he dubs himself, he starts um, he, start, he starts horrible. doing Austin Powers. Like that's the, to give you an idea of the level that we're at here. He's doing in 1999 when it was already even tired. <coughs> uh, this this talking baby is doing Austin Powers impressions. Wow. It's dreadful. It's, I mean, obviously it's unfunny just from the premise, 
but it's way too horny for a movie with talking babies. Oh, what? <laughs> you, there's, Luke, what are you doing to me? There's a sequence where where the sly man he he is trying to escape from the government facility which he's being held in, of course, um, and he he crawls into a pram which a a young baby girl is in and he asks for her clothes to disguise himself and this baby that's a baby <laughs> says uh, aren't you going to buy me dinner first it's oh, just what? I felt so what? unclean watching it <laughs> you're, the, you're definitely on the list Luke uh, I, I, I am <laughs> no I'm innocent I yeah, yeah. sure you are sure you are uh, yeah very bad very, that sounds terrible. Very, that sounds very upsetting. Um, I may watch it next week. No, upsetting not, is definitely the word. I just read the Wikipedia plot synopsis in the first two lines. I'm like, okay, new. No. Yeah, I think I've no, I don't know if I've even heard of this until you brought it up. Uh, this is new to me I and will never. There, I I tried to research it and there wasn't much online. I don't. Know I would imagine Kim <laughs> Cattrall has gone to extensive lengths to bury. I would imagine she has, and really so. A, uh, Kim, if you've ever wanted to see Kim Cattrall in a fight scene with Kathleen Turner, though, I kind of have. <laughs> if you ever wanted want to that? see her drag Kathleen Turner from a helicopter and this punch is the film her, for you. <laughs> this is the film for you. All oh, right. Yeah, no, dreadful Jesus. in every sense of the word. And I okay, fair enough. Watching it. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Moving up, uh, a wrong I watched. Uh, unfortunately, a, a movie I was I, I, I was disappointed by, which was Destination Wedding, which is a romantic comedy that came out last year. Starring Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder and nobody else. The no one else is in it. Full stop. They are the only speaking characters in the film. Oh. Like literally. Oh. So right. what this what Destination Wedding is? It's these two characters that are kind of these kind of acerbic, um, bitter people from different sides of of the kind of the, the divide. Keanu Reeves works for like I think he's like involved in car sales or something like that but he's a very bitter kind of person uh, just as a rule like yeah. he's kind of smarter than now kind of a, a guy he's basically an incel it was it was a real bummer Aww, <laughs> he's play this character. that's quite upsetting um, Obsession is a theme. Like, yeah, it's pure. Like, what the hell's going on? Yeah, seeing Keanu Reeves make like transphobic jokes was like no, Keanu. Um, and Winona Ryder is this kind of scattershot, um, jilted uh, woman. So the reason that they're both going to the same wedding is that the groom is his brother and her ex-fiance, which is pretty contrived to say the least. The entire film is just the two of them in these kind of snarky conversations with each other. As I say, the the, the wedding is very much in the background and there are no other speaking characters in the film wow. apart from the two of them. And they have, as you would expect, great chemistry. And even though these characters are right. way for thin, they, they kind of, they seize them pretty well. They yeah. inhabit them pretty well. But it is a endurance test in the strongest sense of the word because they're doing this kind of you know, scattershot kind of fast-paced dialogue constantly. There, there are no other characters to come in and break that up. There's no other characters for them to come in and react all, uh, react against. And there's no real scenarios. Like there's there's stuff going on at the wedding, but it's just the two of them at a table talking, at a wine testing talking, in a field talking, unendingly uh, with this kind of look at how clever and, and kind of dark and, and mean our, our, our dialogue is thing. It sounds like a student film almost like in that regard. It did like 
not to be mean, but it did feel quite amateurish. Yeah. It it felt like somebody had written something and they weren't sure is this a play? Is this a movie? Like I don't know what this is. And somehow managed to pin two character, two actors that are way too How is that talented possible? for it. Oh, yeah. I don't, I, I don't know. It was, yeah, it was very upsetting. <laughs> was very sad. You actually genuinely look upset. Like I know people can see. I love Keanu, and I, I, I love when I'm a writer. Like yeah. writer does kind of better in this because she gets kind of a little bit of kind of kooky, yeah, uh, kind of stuff to to play around with. Like she's talking to plants and stuff like but that. But she's a woman character. That's what you do in the, in the old days. In We're the also lovably ditzy. Yeah, exactly. You knock over stuff and shit. But it's a, like a very bitter kind of story, and yeah, the the. I don't mind cynical characters, that's fine, but their particular brand of cynicism and they kind also, of... Also, you need something to play against. Yeah, And yeah. if exactly. you're not playing against anything, it just, it's grim. Like, you know, yeah. somebody needs, you need somebody taking out a peg yes, for it to exactly. work. Like, you know, and it, if it doesn't have that, it doesn't have anything. It, so be, in absence of anyone else, it just feels like Reeves wearing down Ryder. And yeah, it was... Yeah, not great. Exhausting uh, and unfortunate. I will never watch this. No. 202, Luke, you're doing well. I <laughs> hope there's something better in the pipeline. Slightly like. better with uh, BMX Bandits. Oh, wow. Which I watched for the, the, the Breakout Role podcast because it is the first starring role of young Nicole Kidman. Yes. Uh, she's 16 years old at, at the time of making oh. this. Um, what a dote. Very. What it's, what's interesting to watch is a, an actor that's better than everyone else in the film and yet not quite sure of herself yeah, yeah. Yet she, like Kidman has said in interviews and stuff that she's a very kind of shy person or, and was a particularly shy kid and you can kind of see that she's not comfortable in her skin to the extent that she would end up very kind of quickly even before yeah, yeah. she arrived in, in America you know but the film I mean BMX Bandits <laughs> is a movie that's intended to sell BMX's what? <laughs> during the People kind of, have always been athletes. During the, just a the brief phenomenon. craze of, of, of BMX in the 1980s. So it was intended to star like kind of younger children. And then they aged up when they realized that they couldn't have tiny kids perform the stunts. Which is fair. You know, you shouldn't have I tiny mean, they, kids perform even the stunts. The, even the teenagers that they, they bring in can't perform the stunts. Because Kidman apparently got injured very early on in this film and so most of the stuff that you see her character doing in this film is performed by what is obviously uh, an older bigger mailer kind of person (laughs) all right (laughs) but so yeah she she plays i think puffball is the name of the character because it's some kind of bmx terminology it's like top gun and maverick and stuff like yeah (laughs) it's a it's a well it is because it there's there's a moment in the film where police overhear conversations between the characters and I'm like wait a minute goose puffball these are BMX terms and I was just like are they <laughs> I don't maybe uh, they were back in the day maybe they were down with the kids like you know yeah. what I mean and you're 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 out of it Luke you're you're old now like I mean, you, you don't know man <laughs> you don't know man I'm, I'm out of time with this movie that came yes. out decades before yes exactly but um it's unfortunate because Kidman is very this is 1983 and Kidman is very much here as the Smurfette to two woeful actors, uh, Goose and PJ, who, much like Destination Wedding, are kind of given a lot of horrible banter to kind of flatly lob back and forth with each other while Kidman kind of BMXs along in the background. She does get some, I won't say good stuff, but she does get a few opportunities to act like it, there's a moment where she falls into an open grave with goose 
and he starts putting the moves on her, her look of disgust <laughs> felt very, uh, real. very real and, yeah. and, and very believable. Um, like it's it's fun to watch in a kind of um, in a kind of I suppose uh, time capsule kind of way. Like Kidman's got that massive eighties red curly hair, which she did. didn't ditch until uh, I think it's post Days of Thunder, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, she's got that going on in Days of Thunder, as we've discussed previously. Yes, which is a, a magnificent film, which I still haven't rewatched, <laughs> but more of Tony Scott than on. Yeah, um, but. Other than kind of the novelty of watching Kidman, there's not much to recommend here. The the majority of the film is just kind of a, a BMX okay. chase, which is not. That it's much got, fun. It, it's eighty three Australia, so it's kind of around the time where where George Miller and other directors are kind of uh, experimenting and kind of having this kind of uh, moment of of exciting action stuff. So there are shots in here of like POV from the bikes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, yeah. there there are attempts to do stuff. Uh, I know Quentin Tarantino has called this the Australian Goonies, but I think that's just Quentin Tarantino making a grab for attention. For the love of God. Um, There is one very strange scene where, due to some bandit-related buffoonery, uh, a car gets blown up, and it's one of the... Considering the budget of the film, and considering it's a kid's movie about bikes, it's a way too expensive explosion. (laughs) Seems like most of the budget ended up on that, but it was entertaining in itself. You've had quite the week, Luke. Yeah. Yeah. Hang on. Uh, what's next? I've got I, a good I, I, one, though. Yes, uh, excellent. I'll, I'll end with a good one. I'm really happy about this. A police story. So the, these are kind of yeah. These are kind of threading from one thing into another because this is an '80s action movie with some insane explosions. I've in never it. seen a police story film. I know there's a few of them. Uh, they I are was, on Criterion Channel. I'm aware, or one of the Americans. I think so. And I am going to get to them soon. Well, I was 15 minutes into this one when I realised that it wasn't the one I had seen before, which was yeah. Police Story 2. Ah, yes, there you go. Police Story 2's big action set piece in the end involves a exploding uh, aquarium. This one is sliding down the pole in the shopping centre, which I, I will get to. I don't know if you've kind of seen some of Chan's biggest stunts this is amazing okay I love this movie very very much the plot is very much just an excuse to get you from one set, set piece, piece to another, to another. Yeah. and that's action set pieces and comedy set pieces and which Chan is equally adept at both yeah um, now the, like Chan directed this film as well and I it's interesting to see some of his point of view on certain things. Okay. Uh, Chan, very much the, the Chinese state apologist in modern times. Oh. It's interesting to see him in the, the 1980s, even when he's doing his best work, be talking about, you know, p- wronged policemen driven to the brink. <laughs> and his views on women are very kind of patronizing as well, because... What the what the plot of this basically is that he is the, the kind of the, the the police the titular police man of the film is assigned to this star witness that doesn't really want anything to do with him so he's got to kind of win her over and then protect her as she gets kidnapped that's that, that's pretty much it so it's like a princess story almost uh, kind of <laughs> I mean but it that's reductive but it does lead to some undeniably entertaining stuff like. In order to win her over, for example, he stages one of his uh, police buddies to come over as a fake attacker, and kind of takes. Well, of course, he did. Cause, take, you know, takes him the on. Days when you can do that, you know, to, to to prove himself. But once she kind of bashes this guy over the head with some furniture and knocks him out, he has to keep up the ruse by kind of picking up the guy and 
keeping moving him like a puppet to fight himself it was oh, very okay. entertaining to watch. Uh, it's just like it's just bananas. Like within the first five minutes of the film, you've got him destroying a mountainside village <laughs> with a car, like racing down, destroying everything in sight. Explosions going everywhere, which leads to Chan chasing down a bus and kind of on foot, <laughs> and of course climbing up it with an umbrella, swinging off the side of it, and then stopping it again on foot with this incredible like he shoots the bus to a stop and the stuntmen come crashing at the front of it you just feel so unsafe even while you're watching <laughs> and that's the first 10 minutes yeah yeah before we get into any the main and kind of like with- chan is a guy that's like he is very much a guy that's going to build to the big stunt at the end and the end of a jackie chan film is always this really entertaining crescendo um of, of, of kind of noise and and sugar glass being smashed and kind of explosions going off but even with the threadbare plot, you're kind of every ten minutes he's going to throw in something to to kind of entertain you. Someone someone will try to kid at someone, and he'll he'll just start kicking and and, and punching people. And <laughs> you're like, oh yeah, it's an action movie. That's what happened. But Jackie Chan is just so fast, and the things he does are just so amazing that you can't help but be won over by it. And as I say, you get to the end sequence, and. This, the, the big kind of famous stunt at the end of this it's kind of been described as one of the most the best stunts of all time like kind of up there with Buster Keaton or anything yeah um, Chan has to catch someone at the bottom of a shopping center and he's on the top floor and there's this big pole in the middle of the center surrounded by lights which were like it was uh, it was on location so these lights were just there so Chan jumps from the top of the shopping center and slides all the way down inadvertently I think blowing up every light on the way and then crashing through sugar glass at the bottom and then getting up and chasing after these guys and it Play Story does something I've never seen a movie done do before with a stunt which it does an action replay of it <laughs> it shows this stunt from different angles three times and in slow motion and my god it earns it because it was fucking incredible I really, really loved it, and you kind of you get to the end, and there's the usual Jackie Chan thing of showing all the stunts going wrong and all this, and you're like, just oh my God, this man How is willing to alive? die for yeah. entertainment. He will do that for us. And he had like three or four movies going on concurrently with this. Uh, yeah, you got to respect the the work ethic. You really you do. Can't respect the politics or, or or some other other elements. One of my problematic action faves, definitely. Uh, you know, we all have them, and particularly around the decades that those films existed in, there's always going to be he's, issues he's, around he's, that. He's a guy with something to prove, which can lead to some good stuff. He yeah. kind of he had done this movie specifically after having done some stuff in America where there was a lot of restraints on him, basically. So he's like, I'm going to direct my own movie, and I'm yeah. going to show you what an action movie is. And if it's like this, it's one of the best of all time. Excellent. I actually will watch them. The films I've heard really, really good things, and a lot of people I follow on Twitter are huge Police Story fans. Police Story sequels. Two, which is what I thought <laughs> I was watching, watching, was is also amazing. Yeah, so, yeah so they're, they're, they're very much on my radar after missing them for years. So yeah, I'm in. I mean, even even when he's not doing action stuff, he's he's doing kind of amazing physical comedy. There's, yeah. there's a scene where he's in the police station and he's kind of going around on a chair from one ringing phone to the other and kind of getting tangled up and it is that kind of Slapstick Charlie Chaplin with yeah, the yeah, potatoes yeah. kind yeah. of a, a thing and it, it just shows his 
understanding of what a film can be and should be yeah it's not restrained to any one genre or any one kind of mood he will just kind of throw any entertaining thing at the wall and, and, and see what sticks I like that. And usually the entertaining thing is himself yeah he breaks something but still <laughs> we have that at least but yeah that that's me this week so that's i, I did get it. something good you, in yeah, i'm really nice. glad because that was looking uh that was looking dodgy for a while it was pretty bleak yeah yes started off like grace what do you got Okay, so I have three new watches this week. Um, firstly, I watched Far From the Madding Crowd, the recent adaptation with um, Carrie Mulligan. I completely oh, I forgot her name. I haven't seen this one. I, this has been recommended to me before, and I get mm-hmm. to get to it. It's been recommended to me many times over. Now, I'm unfamiliar with the book. I've never read the book, and to my knowledge, anyway, I've not seen any previous adaptations. So um, the story itself was just completely new to me. And, um, yeah, I, I liked this, but this was a weird film i just remember sort of emerging at the end of it and thinking to myself that this was very strange because it's paced very differently to your standard period drama like again i don't know how reflective this is of the book maybe this is what the book is like too um but there's a scene early on where one of carrie mulligan's characters two love interests three actually she has three love interests three in the course of the film yes the first one just sort of proposes to her out of the blue like three minutes into the movie and she's like um no and it's just it's just kind of a bit strange because it sort of starts things off on this weird footing that doesn't feel quite earned but again maybe this is just me um yeah and then the film kind of progresses from there and it's sort of a strange one because it's um it's really pretty like it's a very nice looking movie in the sense of the locales are lovely the sets are lovely um Kerry Mulligan is very charming and sweet and lovely to look at in basically everything I think I've seen her in. Um, but it just sort of feels like all of these strange little snapshots of things that have been very lightly sewn together that don't always quite work together for me. So, yeah, it was a strange one. I, I liked it, but I'm, I wasn't quite sure what to make of it at the same yeah. time. So I just yeah. looked it up, I just couldn't remember, because I kind of tend to mix up period films, like mm-hmm. of who directed and who made it. It's Thomas Vinterberg who made The Hunt and stuff like that. One day. Original dogma uh, yeah. kind of signatories, I think, and yeah, exactly. This has been recommended to me a few times. Uh, mm-hmm. It's magician arts and Michael Sheen and stuff like that. So your kind of qualified liking, I think, is probably yeah. I mean, it's it might work better in a rewatch because um, I don't know. I think it was just quite different from what I'm sort of used to in period dramas, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. Um, and it felt a lot more lyrical and kind of okay. a bit more dreamy and so on, which probably works if you watch it again yeah. um, it's just watching it for the first time I was sort of like oh this is happening and then oh this is happening so it threw you off a little bit yeah it was just it, was it just can happen strange. like that particularly on period films if you do want to shake it up a little bit yeah but um, no I, I would recommend it like I, I liked it I just wasn't really sure <laughs> where I landed on it by the end yeah okay um, yes then I watched The Beguiled Sophia Coppola's uh, hey. remake of the was it a Clint Eastwood movie originally? it was yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, also a strange one this is a very and I like Sophia Coppola movies a lot but this was a strangely lifeless movie until the last maybe half an hour I want to say and then it all kind of came together in a very lovely quite twisted way and I think it's kind of a shame overall because I was sitting there and the first hour or so that I was watching it I was just kind of like this is a bit dull and it's not very engaging and it all feels a bit it really feels to me like she's a bit out of her comfort zone or something and because she's going for this story of like the the south during the war but it doesn't 
feel maybe this is my own bias or whatever it doesn't feel like the south during the war you know it doesn't feel like this incredibly hot sticky no, like sort it of simmers rather than uh, yeah, boils a like, bit, i think if I remember correctly weirdly remote it. location it, it feels and maybe this is part of the point i don't know it sort of feels like this just this weird frozen landscape where nothing's really happening and then into all of this you get so so basically the story is that it's um or it was um a girl's school run by nicole kidman's character and then one of the girls finds a wounded soldier played by colin farrell in the woods and brings him back to the school building where they sort of nurse him back to health and then of course he turns out to be not so secret no scumbag and um it sort of goes from there but what's interesting to me is that you have that first maybe hour or so of just sort of you know aimless sort of ticking along with nothing of note really standing out to me and then you get the last half hour which uh, sort of steers quite sharply into weirdly dark horror territory and it's actually really good like if the entire movie had been like the last half hour so i think i would have liked it a lot because it just pivots really neatly into this very everyday like body horror out of nowhere and it feels like tensions that should have been simmering more yes. evidently beforehand exactly this is the point where they would spill over i hadn't necessarily felt those tensions up to that point so you know this sort of just erupted out of the blue for me but i feel like it's kind of a shame that if it had been a bit more moody and intense and maybe more viscerally shot that would have come across a bit more and it would have made the ending that much more impactful pretty much exactly looking at my letterbox review yeah. which i watched it's exactly kind of my thing it's like if early on had the kind of the lead in yeah. kind of simmer intention to it it would have given the last act a kind of that kind of pop that kind of need mm-hmm. to kind of connect to it like and it feels like almost not like a different film but like yeah it, it, it does it, kind of feel like a different yeah. film and though that's really frustrating because there's a lot in it that I really liked yeah absolutely there's some very good performances in there yes. like Nicole Kidman's very good Kirsten Dunst is very good as she always is as she always um, is uh, Elle Fanning stands out yes. as well also as being as being excellent and I like Farland as well um, I love Farrell in, in the Bagad. I love how he calibrates his scumbag yeah. <laughs> uh, very precisely depending on, on, on who's in the room. He's a yeah. pretty good actor for like he gets it doesn't quite I think get the re- the kind of recognition he yeah. deserves and he does things he does he's interesting very, films. He's not very showy, I think. No, I think that's he fair. does inhabit these this this role anyway quite naturally. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it does feel very believable and lived in, I think, by that regard. I think it's it's more because the ending comes together quite nicely and I think the that sense of lifelessness that's been in it beforehand makes the ending that little bit more shocking in the way that you know the characters sort of respond to what happens but I just feel like it needed something a little bit richer and more taut in the build up to really make it work as well yeah I'd, I'd probably agree with that and it's, it's a kind of a pity it seemed like a slightly missed opportunity yeah like it felt like maybe the staging was a little bit off or something but um, it's something a bit different in I know I kind of liked it but it just her. I don't see myself ever going back to it it's yeah. a weird one I like the big a good bit I think like Coppola is definitely I think Coppola is definitely playing the repressed kind of characters uh, deliberately but I think there is uncertainty with her in terms of how to do this adaptation yeah. yeah there's there's different elements in there like that I think she's not sure how far to go in yeah. herself or, or or where to kind of take certain elements of it certain kind of stuff about this period that's not in this oh film. yeah the, the, the mm-hmm. race kind of thing is, yeah is which missing. is in in uh, the, the it's, expre- it's, uh, addressed explicitly. Uh, it's kind of interesting to see Coppola say I'm not going there mm-hmm. um like I kind of liked that, but I do accept that it gets 
it, it's it's strongest in its ending, but uh, in a way that you kind of wish you might have, have had more of. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I'd agree. Well, it's a pity because it, there's there's a lot in there that's yeah that's really good. I just think you could have had a build up that was a bit more focused on um like if it was steamy or something. Yeah, I kept yeah. finding myself thinking of um. I can't remember if that's what this film is called, but is, is it called The Last Supper or something from the 90s? I remember that. That's a film I have a notion Bill they, Paxton was in it. Yes, it was where the group of people who were... They kind invite of, somebody they to dinner, dinner and, and then they, they kill them. Of, yeah, they criticised yeah. them for their worldview and stuff like that. And, yeah. And, and then they kill them, yeah. And, and for some reason, I kept finding myself thinking of that throughout this movie and thinking this is the kind of angle that I would have, I think, would have worked a bit better on it if you sort of leaned a bit more into that kind of... What's interesting is that the the mm-hmm. Eastwood version does have that because it's directed by Clint Eastwood yeah. and he's playing the Colin Farrell character. Yeah. It like so it is there, but for a different reason because the movie's like, look at this sexy. <laughs> In fairness to Eastwood, though, and Ronan is the, the massive Eastwood stand here on the podcast. Uh, Eastwood, he's never. It's never a simple thing with him. Like it's not. He's well, gen- yeah, exactly, because like he, he's, he's, he's like, look at how much of a hunger I am and how much I deserve. Yeah, 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 exactly. Going, yeah exactly. That's exactly it. And Eastwood is really interesting that way. Like, I wouldn't be a massive Eastwood fan as a director. Yes, I'm well aware that he's always kind of critiquing himself and his own view yeah. a lot. And it makes it it makes for very interesting films, even when they don't quite work. Yeah. And I think it's worth if you haven't seen the Eastwood version it's worth having a look yeah no I, I, I do feel like I could watch this it would be interesting to compare the two yeah, different takes so. on it like you know I'm seeing it years later and obviously the, the separation of time and so on but, well that's it exactly. but yeah um, yeah then last night to continue we should have our little uh, uh, Scorsese musical <sighs> refrain here uh. <laughs> anyway um, I watched Raging Bull which was the third movie in my my little Martin Scorsese Odyssey um, and I I really liked this actually which I think, makes me very happy because I was very nervous about this yeah well it's it's a very interesting film yes. genuinely a very interesting film because what struck me most throughout it and I wrote this massive missive on Letterboxd which last night excellent. that I have to try and remember it. now but um, the thing that struck me so much throughout this movie was just it's about somebody who aspires to be a really successful athlete and somebody who is you know sort of starts out maybe at the building up to the peak of their game and then that slowly sort of disintegrates and yet this is a very unshowy movie to me yeah. like it's it's really interesting i think to look at something that's about somebody's idea of success and desire for success and everything that he feels he needs to do to pursue that and to become the the star the the champ whatever um that he envisaged himself as being and yet the film in my mind doesn't really reflect that at all because it doesn't indulge him in that way no you know or at least that's my reading of it maybe other people see it differently but um i think i just found it very sad this is the thing that i kept coming back to throughout this whole movie i was sitting here and i was going i'm i find this very sad like i'm not moved by it i don't feel sadness in that way i just find the desperation and and the emptiness and the misery that's just rampant throughout all of these people's lives is really really sad I think that desperation is right I think that's the 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 right pitch Mm -hmm. because it's miserable in that way like there's no happiness to be gained from winning 
and there's no happiness we gain from losing. There's just no happiness because yeah. you don't know yourself. Like how do you how are you supposed to even look yourself in the mirror? Which comes up a lot in the film that the kind of reflective. Oh yeah, thing. I really liked that, yeah. and the, just the way, especially towards the end, the way the spaces are used. Yes. Because I was even looking at this like from a very early scene where he's arguing with his wife in the kitchen, and he's like looking at this tiny little domain, you know, this tiny little kitchen and this little yeah. um, dining room that they have in their apartment, and how it differs to this open canvas that he feels he has on the ring but um but it's interesting to me how this this is such like there's such poignancy going through this but it doesn't really invite you to empathize with him in any way like oh, I he's don't, an absolute bastard like. yeah and i think it doesn't hold back from showing that he's a complete yeah. scumbag like there's one scene in this where he's crying and it's you know in any other movie you can imagine this being played for something that's meant to be yeah. very difficult and tragic and heartbreaking and mostly you're just sitting there feeling a bit awkward like when is he going to stop yeah i don't that, that's <laughs> when exactly are we going like, to move on which i feel like is the point but i think that's why i find this movie so interesting because this is the type of portrayal that you might expect a little bit more from today but not necessarily from back in the day yeah. um because you would expect this to be more of an indulgent triumphant portrait of somebody's rise and then well, only a few years after Rocky and, and yeah. I, I, not that I love yeah. Rocky and I'm not suggesting anything in that regard like Scorsese doesn't give a shit about boxing like it, and it's quite <laughs> evident like there's like I think it's about seven minutes of boxing in the film overall it's but such actually, a different take in the fairy tale aspect yeah. of it like I mean I think he really doesn't and I really liked this the way the the film is shot differently in different parts like all of the scenes in the ring are much more frenetic and showy and they feel a lot more visceral and you really do sense the, the, the sensory aspects of it compared to scenes where it's just him in a sort of everyday domesticated life and it feels a lot more detached and aesthetic aesthetic yes um, than the other than the shots in the ring do and I think that's deliberate because it shows quite strikingly the violence that's involved in attaining this level of dominance mm, that he yeah. feels like he needs to have um, which is not something that you really get in a, a fairy tale it also has this remarkable um, mm. sequence of it's basically a montage of kind of time passing where mm -hmm. just colour shots and get married and because and it the the colour the use of saturated colour and it kind of um makes it look remarkably like kind of mid forties or mid fifties mm -hmm. America and it looks stunning. I'd forgotten how well it looks and how like people use that in film a lot. They try to use you know old cameras to kind of recreate uh, certain times and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And it almost never works, particularly these days. I think people are a little wary of kind of the kind of because you know what's digital what's real all the kind of there's a certain kind of cleanliness to it that doesn't quite work a lot of the time and this really works like they're standing on top of a building i think it's kind of celebrating the wedding yeah and they kind of color because the music's playing and but it looks like 50 years ago 60 years ago and i really like that because it really centers you in the story like you're part mm -hmm. of a time and yeah. you like you're 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 in there and there's nothing to, you can do to get out of it except stop watching like yeah. you know you're part of this regardless whether you like it or not and you have a ringside seat if you're part of the dreadful boxing uh, pun to You're allowed a few after all the aliens puns I made last week. That's true. <laughs> and it's a destructive, appalling mm -hmm. film. like, And a about a destructive, appalling person yeah. who has no redeeming features. The only thing I will say is that I think he, he, whilst he doesn't get a redemption, and I don't think Scorsese would ever argue for redemption, he does get a sense of peace, I think, at the end, in the sense that it's taken him 60 years or 50 years to even get a sense of the fact that he might have been wrong, which is a yeah. tiny little bubble, Kernel but it's probably mm. enough for him because he's never had anything even approaching that ever. Yeah. And I really like that when he hugs his brother and won't let him go. It's I think there's something really moving and terrible about that. Like mm -hmm. it's really terrible. Like he's a terrible person. And you know, I think Joe Pesci's character Joey says something like, "Do you want to you know call my kids and they can see you 
giving me a hug, like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, because he's an absolute bastard. Like, Joe Pesci's sensational. Joe Pesci's brilliant yeah. in this film as well, by the way. Um, it's really dreadful. It's a, I describe it as this kind of sad and lonely masterpiece, and I think that kind of it is. It is like it's a really weird lost kind of soul of a film. Mm. But I just I, the the stylistic approach to it is so interesting because like that what you were saying there about that kind of little montage and how it looks visibly different, and I think that combined with the use of so many classical musical cues and this yes. really stands out to me because. I think it's quite telling that they're used to score those moments, which for a lot of people, like say getting married, for example, for most people would be like this tentpole moment in their yes. life that they'll always remember. And it always, the way it's portrayed here is the way that you would sense is the way Lamotta would look at it, which is this sort of moment that he wasn't even present in at yes, the time. Yeah. So yeah. it's presented as this sort of timeless sensation that everyone recognizes, but he doesn't feel. Well, I mean, you even see he looks quite vacant in it. Like he yeah, looks like he looks completely. uncomfortable. But, and that's probably it, like, you know, somebody's videoing this, which is in those days, which is bizarre. Mm-hmm. But it did exist, like, and the fact that he's just, this is not where he wants to be. Yeah. This is not where he needs to be. It's or not whatever where he it, feels alive or, or comfortable. Or, and I think important is correct. I think the important yeah. is the importance and that kind of rage when you can't get what you want and even worse when you get what you want. Mm-hmm. And I like the way this film doesn't really have much in the way of resolution because, no. like, there's... I think we've kind of gotten used in one sense to having stories like this where somebody has a really showy moment of downfall where they like overdose or something and then they wake up in the hospital and they change their ways. Whereas that doesn't really happen here. He sort of just goes from one completely meaningless experience to another meaningless experience. And so the the actual narrative itself feels a little bit meandering and aimless in one sense because it doesn't have... Oh, a yeah. lot of those beats that you associate you're not with getting biopics. the beats like, and you're not getting um, that kind of satisfaction mm-hmm. from them but I think that really works for this particular story because for a story about male rage and a sense of you know brutality and impotence yeah. and everything else this is so and I think I wrote this in my review I was like this is so pervasive in society as to be automatically devoid of meaning or purpose it's just something we're so used to seeing and which is so often held out as being significant without anyone really being able to identify why it's significant yeah. and I think this film really captures that quite well and in that sense might have been a little bit ahead of its time because it's like we're supposed to care about this because we're supposed to care about this supposedly great and talented yeah. man but we don't actually yeah and I think Scorsese is being very because good he's not a good life. person he's been good at that for years <laughs> and he's been criticised over the years at kind of condoning behaviours that yeah. he shows and I, I, I never got that which I've never no, I, I don't see that in this movie at all no. which I find quite in in so far as Scorsese's movies are personal and like Raging Bull is yeah. super personal yeah any kind of bad behavior that's shown in them it's always kind of a mea culpa yeah <laughs> i mean the guy's super like, oh yeah yeah, yeah. like it's all guilt helped. with him like anyway like and yeah just even a scene where he holds on to roast which looks like a cross kind of yeah. uh, thing like and like scorsese is oh, not the, the bit in the jail at the yeah, end yeah. Like, and he's and literally the in the jail with the shadow over yeah his yeah face. yeah and there's all that kind of stuff and he he does punish himself and he like he made Reggie famously because he was in hospital after a massive cocaine binge that he nearly I mean, died from. Like going to confession. Cocaine and asthma is, don't make sense <laughs> no, they do not. They don't. Going to confession is not bragging. Do you know what I mean? No, yeah, and, that's and exactly kind of showing the excess yeah. of of sinners, which Scorsese is so good I mean, at. I mean, he did it mean streets with Harvey Keitel's character, who the kind of Catholic guilt about being a kind of mini wise guy slash, mm-hmm. you know, wanting to be something better. Like the idea, and Scorsese has always had that kind of push and pull. I mean, even looking thing. for himself in someone like Jake LaMotta, yeah. you kind of, without wanting to absolve him completely, you kind of are left going, Martin, you're not that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, like, yeah. No, I think that's it. And like, it, I'm sure you didn't do most of it. In the 70s, it was a weird time. A lot of weird shit happened. Like, and yeah. Scorsese himself, 
had affairs and there was a lot of drugs and all the rest yeah, of it. it was a difficult time. It's like when we were talking about Mindhunter last week and that societal shift and how people just didn't really know yeah, yeah. What, what was what or who was, who was who and so on. And what, to, to Scorsese's credit, he confronts that. He's in yeah. search yeah. of that in and his films. Always to always to like, I think get away from The Wolf of Wall Street had a similar kind of reaction in terms of what a lot of people thought of it. And I I saw him when it came out and I was very much, it was very clear to my mind where he stood. Mm-hmm. on yeah. behaviours he, what he was saying to is look this is how society treats these people they will get away with it time and time again because yeah. that's how they mm-hmm. do and it was nothing to do with whether he thought it that way because their the lifestyle looks horrendous to my, to my mind like it's like this last thing I'd be is one of these guys like yeah. it looks horrible mm-hmm. and I think he portrayed it really well but there was, a, there was a lot of talk about the idea that he was condoning behaviours of such things it's like that's yeah. never been the case it's only years later people say oh no actually it wasn't that it's like well fucking say it at the time because it's quite clear to my mind like it's very clear I think when somebody is endorsing behaviours and when they're just presenting them because yeah. I think what I find curious about Raging Bull is that I had it in my head that it was going to be the super violent movie for yeah. some reason I don't know why I just the way people talked about it I thought yeah. it was just going to be people being beaten to a pulp every other know. scene and then you're watching this and you're like there's so there, like there are some very uncomfortable scenes yes. in this but they're not showy you know there, there, there's there nothing emotional violence there's nothing it, like, voyeuristic about the no. violence in it either like there's obviously quite a lot of physical altercations that aren't pleasant to watch but it doesn't feel like they're being indulged it uh, feel no like it's not being... you're not showing somebody as heroically punching the head off something yeah like it's Except very maybe uncomfortable maybe Joe Pesci beating the shit out of the gangster guy in the, in the <laughs> restaurant which is amazing he waits outside the stands outside the door as he comes out and hits him with an ashtray a big yeah. tall ashtray hole, which is I mean, kind of amazing but even at that it's not like no. it's not gratuitous no it's not not at all you know, like, they, they keep cutting away from it yeah, as yeah. well so like he's interested in violence but he's also very squeamish about it I think yeah. you know he sees Scorsese sees violence as something that you're supposed to look away from yes and, yeah. and we should and no, we it, ask questions about you, that you can't like, what, what do you see when you can't that in terms of yeah. we should look away from this we shouldn't be cheering this behaviour yeah. this behaviour is appalling like do you no, know, and not everybody does that. No, <laughs> that's true. But that's I, what you should be doing. Yeah, that's what you should be doing. Exactly. But even like when you get to that scene where he's uh, beating up his brother in the dining room, like it's yeah. it's shot from like behind the table, yeah. behind the chair. You know, there's never a close up of somebody's face being. It's a huge sound much. design thing where yeah. you feel the pain of it. Like it's yeah. it's the music and the off the radio in the background mm-hmm. and the sounds of hitting and like it's it's yep. a lot of it's suggestive. It's it's emotionally violent film, but I don't think it's particularly explicit in any real way. But yeah. it's still harrowing in its old kind Especially of dynamic. Especially when you compare it with those shots in the ring where like he punches someone and this like streak of blood just lands yeah. on somebody's face in the crowd. He ain't it's pretty like, no more. That's reality. Um, but yeah, no, this 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 was very good. Very thought-provoking, I felt. And obviously De Niro is amazing. In it. He is. Like, he's incredible. It's, it's actually really sad that this needs to be said. But, you know, once upon a time, kids, De Niro was an incredible he was actor. my idol growing up like as an actor um, when I was a younger person and discovering film for the worst time. And watching just somebody. so instinctive. Yeah, I knew exactly and what he needed to do. Animalistic in yeah. his movements, like terrifying in lots of ways, like yeah. and and he's really like, I still I mean, we'll see what happens with the Irishman. This is first Scorsese film in a long time. I'm a little terrified, but it could be good. I'm I'm hopeful, but I'm very wary. But it's nice to see them back together again, and they'll be doing another film after this as well, which is you know. So there might Hopefully be a couple of good performances. De-aging. Yeah, I don't think there'll be any of that, but um, we'll see another Scorsese De Niro couple of collaborations which is you know good in terms of mm-hmm. it might be a kind of crescendo for both of them in terms of end of career kind of territory like because they're not young they're in their I 70s know. now like well into their 70s and not the de-aging has it say yeah. <laughs> yes indeed I do share my birthday with Scorsese which makes me phenomenally oh. happy and I, uh, and I tell everybody all times about that that's important it, yeah, it absolutely is um, yeah that's me this week I also watched the second season of Mindhunter but I won't talk about it because it's a bit recent so it'll give people a few weeks to and I'm in the middle of it so yeah. we wouldn't want so to do that Chris. we'll come back to it we will indeed 
Um, I actually had a pretty light week as films goes, and I was actually shocked. I was looking and say, "It's like I've only watched three films. What the fuck happened, Jay?" But what happened was I almost you went to see a film. I, I might have, I, I might have been a, 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 you know, a host of you know gatherings. I know <laughs> that might have happened. I can't confirm it like that. Um, but uh, but I did watch a couple, so we'll uh, get into it. Um, the first one I watched, which was really interesting, is uh, there's a Barbara Stanwyck pre-code season on the Criterion Channel, which has about I think about twelve for for kind of mm-hmm. films from thirty to thirty two or twenty nine to thirty two, I think. Uh, yeah, nearly a hundred years old, kids. Um, oh God! Uh, I know, right? It's oh terrifying, like. Um, but so it, uh, this like and pre-code, if you kind of know your film history, pre-code Hollywood, which is the twenties and thirties, where they could get suggested to get away with a hell of a lot more than they were allowed to get away with it. Probably up to the mid sixties, I just I just say when the Hayes Code kind of kind of finally toppled in the era around uh, kind of Bonnie and Clyde and The Graduate and. Easy Rider and all that kind of yeah. stuff. It was crumbling probably for a few years before that, but the, like other than film noir kind of territory, you probably didn't get it in mainstream Hollywood films like you did in the twenties, thirties. And Stanwyck was one of the kind of great first talkie actresses, I guess, um, and has been fabulous ever since in various TV and trash and movies and everything. She's been great, and she's a really interesting actress. My mom is a big fan. Oh, and she should she be. She always talks about uh, how Stanwyck's, underrated she is. She really is. Um, so I've watched the first one. I've only watched one of them so far, but I'll be watching a lot of the next few weeks. And this is called Illicit from 1931. Great title. It suggests a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and Stanwyck is really outstanding in this. This is the story of... It starts off where she's in an apartment with this guy and they've clearly had sex. You just see the aftermath where he's tidying up and he picks up her dress. Are you and sure stuff they like didn't that. just take a nice nap together? Uh, Are you sure? This pre-code, Grace, you could uh-huh. you could have sex. Okay. Uh, so they're kind of chatting. It's kind of This is post kind of... about in the, It suggests about an hour or two after where they're still in that kind of... <laughs> we love each other territory kind of thing and she's he's kind of trying to persuade her to marry him and he's not or she's not having any of it it's like I'm not marrying because I don't want to be trapped in a marriage who do you know that's happy in marriage it's 1931 and it's like and she compares it to a prison literally Mm -hmm. and that you know why why, why would we have to do anything other than what we're doing we really like each other but then people have seen them together in hotels and stuff so society can't have that like and she says, like, well, this is going to ruin it if we get married. And so they get married. And it ruins it. And there's adultery on both sides. Grim. Because uh, neither of them kind of want to be... They want to what they want, but they don't want it in the particular way society tells them they want it. And it's really interesting. Um, there's kind of great back and forth. Great kind of... And it's very stagey. Like, it's set in, like, two or three rooms, essentially, over the whole film. Like, it's not... It doesn't go out to the streets. It doesn't do anything. And it's nearly all conversations. But and it's it's a really quite funny. Stamick has a great reaction shot. Like she with a little raised eyebrow and a little look and a knowing look of fucking guys I've listened to all the time, you know, this kind of shit. Like and the dad who your man's father becomes the kind of the person she can talk to about it. Like and the dad's kinda of quite progressive in his way, but still feels there's no other way about marriage because, you know, you'll be seen as a fallen woman, you know, with that kind uh-huh. of uh, thing. Because obviously. it's still the thirties. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and it's really interesting about how women are supposed to lead their lives in a certain way, particularly in high society where, you know, re- reputational damage can be done by, you know, playing the field or living your life as it's uh, commonly known now. Um, and I, I, it does have a kind of capitulation at the end in the way these things do, because even pre-Hayes Code, like the last five minutes almost, there's a scene at the end where she's on the phone, which if they were allowed to do it the way they could have done it, could have been astounding. 
Mm-hmm. But it, the, there's a capitulation towards oh, we'll stay together, we love each other kind of thing, which is somewhat disappointing considering what's gone on before. But really, really interesting. I absolutely loved it. Um, and I'll be watching plenty more of these. Uh, Stomach is a star. An absolute mm-hmm. star. Um, and then the other film I watch, or films, I'll probably put them together because, uh, you know, we've talked about Tony Scott a bit in this podcast <laughs> over the years. Myself oh, yes. and Grace's uh, fave, and I think uh, Luke is a bit of a fan. Yes, We've definitely. talked Days of Thunder. Uh, if, you, if you aren't a Tony Scott fan, you might want to consider taking your pulse. You might be dead inside. Uh, yeah. Grace is probably right. The best Scott, uh, the only Scott, some would say. The superior Scott. We would say that. Grace, hashtag the superior Scott. I, uh, I have occasion. some time for Ridley. I do, I do too. Uh, it's been I, I, do <laughs> I do strongly Early Ridley is a lot better than yes. post 25 years ago, Ridley. Like, it's been a bit of a rough run. To say the least. You're turning around any day now. Mm-hmm. You've been saying that for a long time. <laughs> I like The Martian. I like yeah, The Martian. I thought it was okay. I do strongly feel that Tony is a superior. So he I'm is, he absolutely is, in my opinion. So I watched uh, a couple of Tony Scott's because, you know, why wouldn't you? It's the exactly. weekend after all. I'm going um, to do that when I finish my Scorsese bender. I'll just revisit all of Tony's. <laughs> why wouldn't you? Like? It's an amazing thing. Beautiful. So I kicked her off with Crimson Tide. Um, <gasps> Fucking love Crimson the Tide. The brilliant 1995 uh, Tony movie. Scott film of Submarine. And submarine films, because it's inherently claustrophobic so in, in and of its setting, because that's how they do, right? It does that, and it brings the kind of uh, claustrophobic camera work, like really close up, small rooms, uh, sweaty red lights kind of going off, really authentic sound and the kind of, you know, the relaying of information, like, you know, sound off, you know, all that kind of stuff that really sounds technically precise and right mm-hmm. that uh, adds the kind of level of authenticity to the film so you feel like there could be nukes flying from one side to the other above them in the air mm-hmm. and it's just like great performance with Gene Hackman and Denzel Washington as oh, Denzel Captain and XO who clash about whether in, they need to come back up to a certain level in the water to receive a, an incomplete message to say that the Russians have launched there's a, there's, there's a Russians have launched message and then there's a, a partial message to say you know they may, that, that might something that has might, happened that, yeah, yeah. So they might be to call off this and Washington says we should go up and get the message Hackman is like we got our orders we'll take our and, it, and that's a genuinely great stakes like in the sense that like it's simple but it's bloody glorious Tony Scott mm. is perfect for a submarine movie he really like he's the yeah. best director it is, for it, like. it, it is almost tried to be like oh yeah submarine movies are tense and, yeah. and claustrophobic yeah. and that so therefore you get the most frenetic director yeah, yeah. that you can find and he does great work like really great work uh, this is one of the best 90s trailers I think um, I and Hackman I like I every time I watch a film with Hackman I was like oh god I miss Hackman I'm glad they're tired I'm glad he's happy and all the rest of it but they really miss him on screen thank he's you for the memories so cool. yeah indeed and Washington is you know Young, handsome as he's still like young as what ninety five. He's, he so, he's so fabulous. noble My and upstanding. God, he's great. Like the they're, part in this movie where like he's arguing with Gene Hackman's character, and then like they're basically turning it on to one of the other officers, and you can see the pain in the other fellow's face when he's just like, "Captain, the EXO is right. Stop yes, doing this." But they, that cast is so great. It's like Tony Zanza, who's the the, the oh, would be great guy, for yeah. pointless. Uh, yeah, it would Viggo be Viggo Mortensen, uh, Mortensen yeah. Steve Zahn, James Gandolfini. Uh, James Gandolfini. It's just and James Gandolfini is such a He's so such a gal- Gandolfini <laughs> bastard, isn't he? In the way that he always does that. Like. And like, little dog. And, well, I'm going to get to the dog because I have a thing, a, a theory. Denzel, though, as specifically like the muse of, of, of Tony Scott is such a fascinating uh, thing to watch in multiple films. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, just for a, for a director to see an actor and be like, this it's is the guy that perfectly embodies like, what I'm trying to yeah, do. Yeah, exactly. And they're great together. Yeah. Like when you watch them, like, he, like 
deja vu aside, maybe. Even though I'll go to bat for two thirds of that movie. I mean, taking of uh, of Pelham Pelham, one, yeah, two, three. Okay, that's pretty Man good. On fire. That's kind of shit. Man of Fire, which I still haven't rewatched uh, in a long time. That's on my list. Gandolfini's in right. Pelham one two three as well. Yeah. It's, it's not great. <laughs> uh, there's no getting around that. It pales in insignificance. To that kind of suffers, film. I think. Yeah, from being. It's a bit easier compared for him, to yeah to 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 the original like. But oh, I listen. The, the the only thing in this film that's a problem is the Tarantino script doctoring, which should be fired into the sun forever. That horrible you can segue fuck off into with your Star Trek and your silver surfer silver and your surfer. stuff needs to go away. Like I'd I'd actually re-edit the movie to take it all out if I was in charge of it. Yeah. But that's just me. It it doesn't fit. It doesn't really work. This whole podcast is just building to my opponent. Oh, no, we can't wait, uh, Luke. We can't wait. But it was great. Anyway, I'll get to the dog race because I watched Enemy of the State uh, mm-hmm. the day after. And again, another Hackman performance. Uh, Hackman and Scott could have been a thing. Like, mm. I mean, you know, great work. I have work not getting. seen this. Grace. I know. Oh, Grace. I know, it's what? shocking. You have so much love There's ahead. so much wild stuff in Enemy it of is, the State. It is. It's like... This I, is did, like, I can just picture all of the ads of Will Smith running through traffic in his bathroom. Running through lingerie shops. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just a lot of... It's bananas. Uh, this film, it's not quite as good as Crimson Tide, but it's really, really what good. What could be as good uh, as Crimson Tide? It's a 20 nerds. years old. It's a, a film that is re- very, very much rightly paranoid about surveillance mm-hmm. and how privacy in our public lives is important. And that's and it's really good. The tech is dated in the film, but the concerns around it are very, very relevant. Um, it's a great cast um, and there's an escalation of tension throughout it's really good and Wash, our Will Smith and um, Gene Hackman work so well together it's it, like it, their rapport and it really adds so much to it I, I really like this one a lot it, 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 it's perhaps a touch too long it probably could have trimmed out 10-15 minutes off it but I really like it and it has such real kind of Scott Scott paranoia equals choppy camera work nervous mm. and it's, again it's a perfect Love. Scott's playful visual style like and like again with with the relationship between actors and directors someone like Denzel obviously like he sl- he slips into what Tony Scott's going for yeah. every time perfectly Will Smith benefits a lot from yes, having a, a director like this he really does. to keep him yeah on his toes yes exactly I, I completely agree uh, he's very very good and like Will Smith can be very good. Oh, he can mm-hmm. if when he's, he's directed. If he's directed well, yeah, uh, I, I, I think he's a super actor. Like his turn in uh, Michael Mann's um, Ali film is incredible. This is kind of around the same time. Uh, would you say something Ali, positive about Michael Mann? I really like Ali. Uh, Legat. Listen, I, I liked. I used to love Michael Mann until I didn't. Um, <laughs> you know, I've been, I've been as kind as it can be. Okay. But fair enough, interestingly, fair in terms of you mentioned the dog in Crimson Tide, there's a cat in, um, oh, in yes. Enemy of State. And what what's really interesting about the two of them, and after watching it back to back, they get he gets brilliant cat and dog reaction shots <laughs> from the uh, scenes that happen yes. in the film. Uh, like you get a cat re- to react. Oh to my god, it's amazing! It's really amazing. And I'm watching it going, like that's like the dog film from last night. It's amazing. Like he gets really great reaction shots from animals, which is remarkably difficult. The true sign of a master. It really is. Like this is the director that knows what's going on. Like. You know who got a fantastic reaction shot out of a cat? Um, God, I forget his name now. Whoever made the the first It movie there the other year? Oh. The bit at the start where Georgie is taken and there's a cat in the window across the road that just looks <laughs> horrifying. I was like, what? How did you get that reaction out of this it's cat? It's great when something like that happens. Like... It's fantastic. <laughs> but yeah. But Hackman's dog in Crimson Tide 
probably should have got a Spartan Actor nomination. Uh, I'm not. I'm not saying he should have, but he probably should. Have. He probably should have. Yeah. Let's be real. Just to mention, actually, just before I go on, because I'm finished with films, but in the illicit Barbastamic one, I, I forgot to mention that. Uh, the main character is called Dick. So Barbara Streisand, oh sorry, Barbara Streisand. Streisand. Uh, Barbara Stanwyck <laughs> and uh, a, a, a woman that has eyes on her partner. I love Dick. I love Dick from both of them constantly. And it's like, oh my God, pre-code is amazing. This is addressing your concern from a few weeks ago. Yes. Where's the, you found the Where's dicks. The, there was not enough dicks. Now there's dicks <laughs> everywhere. Even 1931. Amazing. Where all the dicks? I knew the dicks will come swinging around back again. Uh, and it has. So. Swinging 30s. So if you want your dicks, Elicit 1931. I do have a affection for Dick. Who doesn't? <laughs> Good lord. Anyway, let's move on to the. This movie is news. not a family podcast. We've established that. No, we have not. Uh, we are we moving on. We have, yeah, we, let's move on. Let's move on from waiting dicks. I think we nixed um, that right when we said pay us to talk about dicks. <laughs> Indeed, we did. Uh, I would be happily paid for that. Um, right, movie news, you ready? Excellent. Yes. Uh, principal photography has begun in Northern Ireland on a film called Pixie, a comedic thriller directed by Barnaby Thompson of St. Trinian's 1 and 2 fame. Oh, I've seen Trinian's 1 and 2. Have you? Yes, Did of course you like I have. Him? I like the first one a lot. The oh, second okay. one I've only seen once, so I don't really remember it. Oh, okay. Well, this is his new the film. The first one is fun. Uh, it's Northern Ireland funded. Uh, Olivia Cook starring in it, and Ben Hardy, who sounds like a terrible. Tom Hardy, Wait, younger brother. Ben Hardy from EastEnders. I have no idea. The guy in Bohemian Rhapsody and Next Men Apocalypse. Yeah, the guy who played Roger, what's his face, in, in I, Bohemian I, Rhapsody. Did he? Oh, you right. don't remember my memorable text where I was like, the only thing I'm taking from Bohemian Rhapsody is that I like the guy from EastEnders, which just Jesus, sums up bad. that whole I like movie. Tim from Jurassic Park in Bohemian Rhapsody. So fair, there you go. Yeah, fair. Yeah. Well, uh, this also stars uh, Conamini, who was great, and Dylan Moran, who was also good sometimes. And... <laughs> Oscar nominated and Emmy winning Emmy winning actor Alec Baldwin. Wow, this that's a bit of a segue. That's a that's a that's a the random yank in there anyway, for the foreign market. This is a yeah Northern uh, produced one. It sounds interesting. Uh, and uh, Dave Holmes doing the music who did Ocean's Eleven and stuff like that. What's it about? I uh, have no idea. I am saying I'll tell you now. We'll find uh, it's a woman who wants to avenge her mother's death by masterminding the heist, but plans go awry when she finds herself on the run with two young men who are away or they're left being chased across the wild Irish countryside by gangsters. It's only so far you can go in like Ireland, heists. so... Yeah, that's true. You'll hit yeah, it. As you'll most hit people have tried to conduct heists in this country, I've yeah. found. Yes. There's only so far you can go. You drive for six hours, you run where's out my, of Where's my, uh, you know, ATM Robin movie, you know, with the... the it's the, coming, the, Jay. The, I'm, the I'm just JCBs. I want that movie. Great stuff, great stuff. Glad to hear it. Um... In other news, the Kerry Film Festival has announced Eve Collins as the new head of programme, who is, Eve Collins is a really good uh, short filmmaker. Uh, and it's the 20th edition of the festival, Clarity this year on the 17th to the 20th October. Um, and she's done programming in various other festivals as well. Um, and she's uh, only 21, oh no, 21 in 2013 when she did, uh, she, she was manager at both the Irish London Film Festival and the Diddy Cork Festival. That's impressive. Uh, and she's she's been programmed shorts internationally since 2016 uh, in various different parts of the world. And uh, this is really impressive. And she's the short film program for uh, the Galway Film Flat. And those very good ones, as uh, Ronan has uh, mentioned on the previous as Ronan podcast. Uh, he yes. likes a short film, does uh, Ronan. Uh, Shout yeah, out to our Ronan at this time. I think that's a really good uh, appointment. Uh, I suspect the Kerry Film Festival will have plenty of great shorts. Absolutely. Uh, and speaking of Irish actors, uh, leading Irish film TV and is he a TV actor? I guess he is. Mo Dunford of Mo, who turns up in everything. He's a new patron of the Irish Film Festival in London, uh, which I went to a couple of years ago to see uh, Song of Granite, memorably. You went uh, just for Song of Granite? Yeah, of course I did. Brand J. I'd do anything for platforms. Hashtag Brand J. Uh, <laughs> but Dunford 
who is not really best known for playing some of the Vikings, I don't think. Well, I guess he probably is. That's his big TV thing. Yeah, but in movies, he's I don't actually know what I know him from, though. He has one of those faces. He does. I definitely associate you with something, but I don't know. He's been in like 100 hours films in the last like two years. He's probably like a weird medley of all of them. But he's just a distinguished list of people who. Who've been patrons of the Irish London Film Festival, including Colin Farrell, Lenny Abramson, and Ross Hubbard, uh, who's done it all before. So this is good. And the Irish Film Festival London has a lot of great Irish film and animation every year to UK audiences because they need to see good films. God bless them. They've had a tough year, the UK. Tough three years, some would say. And only we can save them. Tough yeah, uh, yes, indeed. Uh, so the ninth Irish Film London Film Festival takes place on the 20th to 24th of November at Reed Street Cinema, which is a great cinema, I have to say. Marvelous. Uh, so, yeah, there you go. Uh, there's also uh, interesting international news. Spider-Man. Oh, yes. Oh, Anybody want to take this? Anybody got a hot take? Luke, you sound, you sound like you might be the kind of guy for that. What's happening? So, <laughs> as no pressure, far as I understand I want the whole it, story. What, what, what had happened was Disney and Sony were in negotiations to continue the license i mean this is boring stuff because it was a five film deal i think wasn't originally for the character yeah um for them to collaborate with using spider-man yes and disney basically said that they wanted 50 percent which was up from i think five percent i think this mean word yeah um of the the profits from any (laughs) collaborations that they would have had that seems like a lot 50% 50% like, yeah that's a big uh, jump a like. fair bit well for I mean the, the again people don't I think care about how they get these Spider-Man movies they just, they just yeah. enjoy them when they get them but Sony put up for, for stuff that is very much in people's minds as Marvel movies Sony put up the money for the Spider-Man yes. films so and like Sony ain't doing so hot right now, whereas Disney are, are buying Although everybody. Sony did okay with um, Venom, maybe not critically. But yeah, maybe, and with uh, with Into the Spider Verse as well. Like yeah. for all people are saying that that was slept on, it did do very well financially. Yeah. But you're kind of they're, they're not at the point where they could give up fifty percent of the no, no, profits no. from their from. I don't from think there's really much to be asking. It's, yeah, it's unreasonable and to expect them to also. It's very transparent here that Disney have leaked this information yeah. in order to weaponize a certain strand of of fandom. And there's a lot of them out there. Yeah. yeah. Well, there is a lot of them out there, and there's a lot of bots. Like from what I've seen yeah, online, yeah. it's a lot of it bots uh, as well going into these kind of save our Spider-Man yeah, yeah. Uh, campaigns and stuff. But yeah, it, it's it's a very kind of blatant move to mm-hmm. to garner public sympathy I suspect that they will go back to the table on this yeah I, I suspect that the pressure would be on that in that regard like, or else that Disney will point. just buy Sony and yeah. <laughs> be the, and end the thing that. is that's probably what they would end up doing but like this is this is really just fucking preposterous because it's like you know as, as a, a fan of Marvel movies I would think it's a shame if Spider-Man was not going to be involved in the wider universe anymore but from a detached neutral perspective I think it's all ludicrous it's a little absurd no, it's, it's downright ludicrous I mean Disney owns flipping everything yeah. and are homogenizing all of this like completely soulless corporate output that's probably just going to continue getting worse and I think the more things that they have their hands on the worse things will be overall yeah. so having something like this where there's at least somebody else involved who try to put some brakes on it 
is not a bad thing and at it's all. weird kind of going to bat for Sony who are this not exactly thing, uh, I resent yeah. being put in the position of having to care about this kind of this corporate this is like wanting <laughs> to leave Rack on, leave Rack on the Brexit thing like, it's, like, it's, yeah. it's very disgustingly similar. uncomfortable but he's You're probably right the, the lesser of two evils so to speak yeah mm. but yeah I'm, it's just my also the fallout from this is like nonsense it yeah. is ludicrous it's very silly watching all of these people fucking prostate themselves <laughs> like lads get over on. yourself you know. There's been like 19 million Spider-Man movies so far. I mean, it would be a shame if the current guys did not continue, but I'm sure you'll live. Yeah, I was going to say, like, well, you can be upset, but lads, there's a Pat Collins film coming soon, so, you know, relax. What more do you want? Is it well, in until Marvel Pat Universe, Collins it's does not, a plucky Imagine Pat, a Pat Collins Marvel film. <laughs> My God, I want to see that. Could, they got Banshee now, you know. He could, he could, oh, good job, Pat character. Collins Banshee. Good Jesus, the possibilities are endless. He flies I, by screaming. It's perfect. Marvellous. Ha, if you're listening, we got the project for you. <laughs> I'm co-producing. I'm uh, I'm feeling part of this. I want those I'm sweet excited. Disney money. I'm excited that we're going to get more Venom movies. Um, yeah, Venom is both terrible and kind I of kind really of entertaining. Love it's terrible, <laughs> but it's great fun. It's so entertaining. It really is. It's bad. I, Eddie I, Brock is the worst journalist that's ever been in the history of the world. Don't you besmirch Eddie Brock? Like Sorry, that. dare you? He's nice a fun. hard-hitting journalist. He's hard-hitting, all right. Eddie, he will. He try will try harder <laughs> not to be a dick. He will hit you hard with his motorcycle. He will, in fairness. Yeah, but then he'll apologize. He will. It's a bizarre film. <laughs> that scene where he goes back to the apartment and he just destroys this bag of tater tots had me absolutely the dying. Frozen, yeah, it's so weird. It's <laughs> the plane. I did so enjoy weird. that. I hope because it's Annie Circus is doing Venom Two. Okay. I hope he does keep that bizarre yeah. energy gone oh so you know what you have you best believe that's it's going the entire basis of the appeal it nearly made a billion you best believe it's coming back to the same did it way. nearly make a billion it was like 950 million good lord made an and then like and every drop is going to be an absolute bomb amazing yep. anyway are we ready for the top 10 are we ever i'm yes. ready you're luke you look ready he was born ready yes at 10, a film I've actually seen. Yay! Uh, Blinded by the Light, uh, Grinda Chadda's film, uh-huh. uh, which I You're really like. You're a fan of this, yes. Uh, it's made 134,000, which is not bad. It's not great. It didn't do great in the States. It opened, I think, for about 4 million. Yeah. Uh, I think they thought this would have been a kind of feel-good hit uh, on a kind of comparable scale to the way certain English films tend to do that in America, and it didn't Needs quite do it. Clearly. I think it's a darker film than, um, than it's been portrayed. Yeah. I think that's part of it, and and and, and, and it's the part I like most about it because it, it doesn't I've, scapegoat I've, it. I've seen this one. It's good, isn't it's it? It's great. I, I really, really like love it. it. Um, I think how well people would get on with this film might be dependent on how much they're a fan of Bruce Springsteen. Yes, <laughs> just because it is, it is such a gushing kind of love letter to to his music, uh, coming from like a memoir. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I actually didn't mind that. Even like I'm a Springsteen fan, but I wouldn't be major major fan. But I, I wouldn't even mind the same principle applied to any musician I didn't like well, done in the same way done yeah, well in that way what I really appreciate about this is how well it captures that feeling when you're a teenager of, of hearing music for the and first time and what it can time. do for you like, and, it feels like you chase the world yeah and particularly in how and how this film is structured it is a good kind of 30 odd minutes uh, of of the world and the day to day life, yes, yes. Of, of, which of is a character. much darker yeah. world than you would perhaps expect. It's a bit miserable, it's you know. Era Britain, he's very racism. sincere, but he's kind of downtrodden yeah. by, by. I really like that, but I, I take the stuff. Think... And then you have him listen to Springsteen for the first time and identifying. 
and but the visual the way that's yeah, done with the kind of the lyrics on screen and kind of the close-ups of, yeah. of the actor's face as his mind is fucking and the actor's great uh, to smithereens um David Calvary, he's fantastic. He's because that, that sincerity could easily be kind of cloying. And, and twee and, and, and all the rest of it. And, and what's not. perfect about this is that it shows that kind of earnest teen feeling. Yeah. But And it and it does it earnestly and with a, a appreciation for that. But it also acknowledges the ways in which that, that can be annoying. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, I know he's, he's a bit of a dick. Kind of, yeah, he is kind of a, a bit of a dick. Yeah. And the way that he acts with his parents or like when he's trying to get other Where people into really his music. Nice I really appreciated how this, and like because it's coming from Chad, it, it's obviously going to be a more considered take yes. on the like stereotypical disapproving parents. Who are great and get and are yeah. fully rounded Fantastic people, like, performances. And, are really, like, and they're trying to be good, but but also suffocating and like all the, the rest of it. The, like. the the way that the dad is with his son is constricting and uh, in ways that you could appreciate for his character. But the thing, because of the world that you you see here, you understand a hundred percent where the dad is coming yeah. from. And at certain points, it's explicit in the world yeah. around them that is like, trying to protect him from. When you see him being confronted with fucking the national front uh, national front racists yeah. you understand why the dad is like i don't want you to be british i want yeah. you to be pakistani, pakistani yeah. and, and kind of stuff like that and that kind of dual nationality it's, kind of thing is really interesting the push pull yeah of that the attraction it's of sensitive the to that in in kind of really good ways and yeah the way that it kind of shows how young people in particular get into music is is, is really fun like there's there's the scene where they they do Born to Run. Yes, it's super cheesy. Oh, it's because it's, it's cheesy as the cheese. But like the it's factory, it's shot like a music it, video, it but is, yeah. not like a Springsteen yeah. video, like any kind of eighties. No, it's it's, music it's video a weird montage eighties strangeness, but really good because it reflects how the character is, you know, kind of feeling, and you you can see visually he would maybe have the frame of reference of. 80s music videos yes. and that's Tiffany how he feels in the moment and, yeah, yeah, yeah. so it is an 80s cheese fest in that way but it's pretty the best true way. shot through with that kind of thing yeah. I don't really like no, I, 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 I don't think I like quite as much as just having Niall who loves it but I really liked it yeah. and um, I wish it had done better but such is life with these things yeah. <sighs> Still, it's in the top 10 it is not nothing not for again I suspect this is the last we'll see of it at 9 speaking of doing very well Spider-Man Far From Home still hanging 3. on 3.2 millions that's a lot of money. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen it. Um, I'm probably not giving any more money to Marvel or <laughs> Disney, so uh, or Sony, really. But I'm gonna yeah. I liked this. It's gonna start a Twitter campaign against you. Well, How dare you? I've had a good one. <laughs> Me and my bots are gonna go after um, you. But this is just I, be inviting harassment. The word seems to be that it's about as good as uh, Homecoming, which I wasn't a particular fan of. So it I is. I mean, I think there's there's some very interesting stuff in there in terms of how Peter individually deals with the fallout from Endgame. And yeah. like they do attempt to confront the reality of it, I suppose, in ways that are more explicit than Endgame itself <laughs> confronts. Um, and that is appreciated. And I think it does give Tom Holland a little bit more heavy lifting, which is good because like he's Tom more Holland. than capable of he's it. He's my favorite Spider-Man um, and slash Peter Parker. And Jake Gyllenhaal's very good in it. Very fun villain. Genuinely very, very fun. Really reminded me of Edward Nygma from Batman Forever. And I love Batman Forever, so you know that's a massive compliment. We, we love Batman yeah. Forever. Please. Um, we love Batman Forever. I just felt it was a little bit too long. Like, oh, it just okay. sort of sticks around for a bit, maybe half an hour more than it needed to. Dude, that's a chunk. Yeah, the post-credit scene, or the mid-credit scene, whatever you Sorry. want to call it, is I don't want anything with it, but uh, I will get to it at some yeah. point, maybe. Who knows? Yeah. 
grumpy it's, me it's, like at a nice weekend where I'm not grumpy and I might watch. Well, it's been hyped up every week now for about ten weeks. I know, right? so. it, it feels yeah. like it's been out forever. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the, summer is a bit like seven that though. Weeks now or films just kind of drift along lazily in the summer for months. Like you can, yeah. it's a weird time for films. Well, the top ten, surely not. Like I'm telling you, there's many more to come. At eight, Ugly Dolls. What? Yeah. We talked about this last week for about 30 seconds. I'm not willing to waste that much time on it again. Yeah, <laughs> What's that's Ugly Dolls? It's a film about uh, dolls who are ugly. <laughs> it's an anime film. Like troll uh, dolls? Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, plush speciality toys, which sounds like a sex thing, but it, apparently it's not. Uh, it's made 39,000. I suspect this would be the last um, I would watch that one. Mm-hmm. Vibrator! Swing the dicks. bad guy in a Batman. <laughs> Swinging dicks. It always comes back to dicks, doesn't it? Hashtag Why are we being dicks. paid to talk about dicks? Like, my God. Not in a children's film. I was very clear at the start of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. like, I want to make this absolutely clear that that's not what I was saying. Uh, as Lucas led away in handcuffs. Um, <laughs> at seven, the Angry Birds movie two. I still can't believe this is a thing. The the, the both the original and sequel that you can exist. hear the drunken horror in our voices last week. You're like, why is there an Angry Birds and then two? You hiccup. And, and then I hiccup. Yeah. The, uh, and then we move along. Yes. The kids that would. That uh, the target audience for this now are probably too young to know that this was like a mobile app. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> which is I really like, what bizarre. Was, this? was I born? You're four. Of course you weren't <laughs> born. Uh, yeah, I this is... mean four now. Oh, God, no, stop it. I'm glad I'm... I wish I was older so I can get off this. <laughs> anyway, that's that's a different podcast. Uh, oh, that's, that's gone on after dark. You've gone too far. I have, sorry. No, it's great. I love my life. Um, that's made 417,000 Angry Birds too, so not quite the... Imagine walking into the cinema and seeing one for Angry Birds 2. I want you to see that. And if you do that, Grace, I want you to record it so I can see it. No, okay. Absolutely not. Commit to this podcast. Commit to it. That's true, you do. Um, Raging Birds. (laughs) Hey, very good. Uh, I'm sure there's some kind of trite joke in one of these. (laughs) I'm going to try to concentrate on the podcast, and now all I'm going to be in the back of my head is puns on Scorsese films. God damn it, Luke. What are you doing to me? If, if, If one of the Angry Birds doesn't say, You're talking to me. At one point mm. in these movies, it's a waste of very time. What a life! I'm never going to find out. I hope you'll find out for me, Luke. No, uh, no, no, you won't. There is a limit. God damn it! You people don't commit. At six, and I think cruising into the top ten of all time in Ireland is Toy Story Four, with five point five million. Um, Again, I think a lot of money. Six million is kind of Niall was saying during the week that six million is the kind of if you want to get into the top ten Ireland, that's kind of where you need to be, uh, which is remarkable and. Because new movies are moving to the top 10. Um, and Mamma here we go again. It's gone out of the top 10. So we think no. it'll be a moment for that. Uh, pour one out for Pierce and the lads. Uh, I'm very sad about that because I, I adore it. So. Uh, but uh, Toy Story 4 is the fourth film in the franchise. That should never have the fourth film. But there we go. Luke? Well, it's a very financially successful film. Yes. Considering that it has a character ask, why am I alive? <laughs> very <laughs> existential. That, 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 I do like that idea. That's it's an appropriate question to come from a spork that's had like... Uh, you know, eyes, googly eyes, pasted to it, and therefore come to life. <laughs> that, that's terrifying. The the yeah. the existential crisis of of Forky is uh, definitely the highlight. It's a funny film. I will watch it at some point. I I do like the the Toy Story films. I I am being jesting, but I just it's it's a money grab. But I, if it's about a decent money grab, I'll go with it. But fuck Disney. I still want to see the first. Really? Yeah. I want you to watch the third one. But I don't want to. Well, don't then. <laughs> Would you want to see if I care, Grace? I just find it curious. Everyone else my age loves these movies, and I'm like, I saw the first one, and I never thought about it again, and I never cared about Hashtag brand I don't understand. It's weird. It is. Continue. Speaking of terrible films, Grace loves. 
at five. Is this Hobbs and Shaw? Fast and Furious, Hobbs and Shaw. I haven't seen this. How have you not seen? So you can't say that this is a film that's terrible that I love. All these films are terrible that you love. They're not. They are. The Fast and Furious are wonderful, regardless of what Jay would have to say. I've watched four of them. I'm I'm dying inside. They're a wonderful thematic reflection on family and loyalty. All right. So I have seen Hobbs and Shaw. Excellent. Tell me all about the Hobbs and indeed the Shaw, Luke. I have never seen any Fast and Furious movies before this, really? which I now recognise was a mistake. No, it wasn't. <laughs> I can assure you it's not a mistake. Well, well just because I would have... You would probably had want a, some context. Yeah, I was a bit confused in this as to <laughs> what exactly Hobbs... What is a Hob? What is a Hob? Well, yeah. What is, what is a Shaw? What is a Hob and what is a Shaw? They are... <laughs> Fair questions. They are... Spies? Not necessarily. They're they're part okay. So Hobbs is part of this government agency. Sir or security. He hunts people down. He's like Dog the Bounty Hunter. His job makes no sense though, because he's supposed to be on like security detail for 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 a certain strand of, of government and he spends all of his time chasing criminals. Like the actual jurisdiction of his job has never made sense to me. And then I think you're reading too much. Anytime the they make yeah. reference to it here, it's always about saving the world. So he's yeah. he's an action hero. That's yeah. fine. And Shaw is like a thief that used to be he was a, a villain, secret yeah. agent or something. Yeah, he was like British special forces. Decker Shaw. Turned. Right, right. Yes. Have you know? As opposed to Owen Shaw. Yes. Oh God, what have what have we done? So I was kind of just a bit out of step with this from the beginning because I didn't really like I got their dynamic obviously they don't get along but I didn't really know where it was coming from oh, okay. um, I didn't really I know the movies are about family cars <laughs> they're about family Luke they're well, not none of the family Fam- are cars are metaphors for terrible okay, but okay so as I understand it their movie is very much about found families yes. Uh, yes. and the kind of connections that yes. people forge in very intense in their situations that's what makes them so lovable. whereas Hobbs and Shaw is much more about literal families in that they are Hobbs and Shaw are trying to kind of save and then protect uh, Shaw's sister um, and Hobbs has this kind of he can never go home again thing going on um with like Samoa and the the big climax of the film, which is not a spoiler because it's all over the five minute long trailer, uh, involves them going back to Samoa for their big kind of standoff at the end. Okay. Uh, I like the stuff in Samoa. That was kind of <laughs> entertaining because it's this very stripped back. Like we're gonna use spears and kind of channel our, you know, national pride and our you okay. know our family. You kind of attempts to, to, to defend each other and all that. The, the other action scenes in this movie, which is kind of what you're here for, were not very good to me. They're very kind of CGI heavy and. That even the bit I've seen the trailer look, look, look mm-hmm. like that. that yeah, scene. very not very kinetic. Yeah. And they. I mean, they're, they're just. The film I found wasn't really giving you what you're kind of buying a ticket for. There's actually not that much kind of banter really not between much family. the two of them. Uh, and when they were kind of bantering I didn't really find it entertaining it's kind of just like you're a dickhead you're like that's what I mean I didn't really get what the The conflict was between them or what the bit was yeah but this is what I find curious because like I'm not actually overtly interested in this because it's not the original core group of characters as you were like they both would have come in originally as 
Well, Shaw certainly is an antagonist and Hobbes, to a certain extent, also is an antagonist. Um, but they have, in, in Fast and Furious 8, or maybe 7, I can't actually remember which one now, um, they have a protracted thing between them where they just yell at each other in a prison and beat each other up. Yeah. And I'm kind of like, are they just taking that and making a full-length movie out of it? Because I feel yeah, like it's I been feel, done. Yeah, yeah. It's, and it it's was done more entertainingly yeah. within the wider context and of what was going on with the rest of the characters. It, it kind of feels in this like they're, they've, they've kind of realized uh, after having started that they're they're kind of missing. Well, they throw various things in here, which I, I kind of found didn't work. There are some very distracting surprise appearances from people in this that okay. are not in Fast and Furious movies. Um, people that I don't think you'd be on board with, with, with showing up necessarily yeah. in these. Um, I likely uh, never see it anyway, so it probably won't make a difference. I wasn't wild, I wasn't wild about it. All right. mm. well, fair kind enough. of fun and daft, but not yeah. kind of maybe as much as you would want. Right. At number four, Dority, Dority the Explorer and the Lost City of Gold. Which has made one hundred twenty-five thousand and has got surprisingly really. okay reviews. Um, I don't know much about it beyond that, except the creepy reviews. From the <laughs> That's States. all uh, anybody knows about it, unfortunately. Yeah. but uh, you know, apparently it's decent enough from what people say. Mm-hmm. But we'll, we'll we'll move on. At I three, really seen much in the way of promotional material. That's been some ads whatever, but that's not yeah, no. Like yeah. It does is, mean a huge amount. Is uh, it as big a thing here as it would be in America, like in general? Everyone kids used to watch Dora, Dora. on TV. Uh, yeah, it, uh, yeah, it was a thing. Dubbed this into Irish. Then with we'll Brogy see and, and Mishamala. Stop. That was a song. Mishamala, Mishamala, Mishamala. And the little monkey was called Brogy. Because boots. <sighs> I didn't watch Irish because I don't speak Irish. Because I'm a West Brit. Uh, I know, right? Brits out. <laughs> Great. <laughs> At three, Good Boys. Uh... Which has no. made 150,000. This is Jacob Tremblay and a group of young lads on the cusp of becoming teenagers embark on an epic quest to San Fernando Valley to fix their broken toy before their parents get home. Good God, that's so bad. Wait, uh, on, on the cusp of teenage dumb and they want to fix a toy? Don't ask me. Listen, what are they, I, five? I don't know. I, Can this, we move on, please? Yes. <laughs> At two, The Lion King. Speaking no. of top 10 Keep films, this is 5.7 million. This is made. This is the top 10 in Ireland as well, I think. Uh, God help us, Disney. Stop making all the money. Well, uh, what we could do is we could get people to kind of save the lions if we, you know, kind of start a Disney campaign. Yeah, well, they could give some money towards it. Like I said, uh, you could have made a whole movie about the actual peril and, and plight affecting lions in the wild right now, but oh, why would you do that? Why would you do that? Nobody cares, Reese. That's what the problem is. That's what I mean. you got to use... We'll, we'll lose the Lion King if lions go extinct. Kids won't know what they are anymore. This is true. <laughs> At one, and uh, I think young Luke might have a thing or two to say about this, Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood which I was planning to see last night until I went to a film quiz and didn't get to see it but I will have seen it by next week this has made 524,000 on the weekend and 785,000 in all which is pretty substantial let's take a moment to reflect on the deeply unlikely scenario where a Quentin Tarantino movie Quentin Tarantino being of course a famously unknown emerging director has been selling out cinemas and has loads of people talking about his films can you believe that Jay? unheard of just can you? Uh, still I think even beyond that though I think it's made a little more money than they were expecting even beyond the who uh, is this man and where has he come from? he's he's a young up and comer uh, he likes feet, apparently. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, he does. Uh, Luke, what do you got? Okay, so... I would consider myself a Quentin Tarantino apologist in the sense that... 
I'm only an apologist for Jim Cameron. So. Like, <laughs> stop. <laughs> Speaking of mea culpas, like I was 13 when Kill Bill came out. And Jesus, stop being so young, will you? <laughs> it very much was the kind of, oh my God, I didn't realize movies could be, you know. It yeah, was, yeah we, we've all had those. It was, it was at the I, time I, I totally a foundational it. kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and kind of all through my teens. I love Kill Bill, though, in fairness. Probably one to do. Second one, you can fuck off. I like them both. Mm. Sorry. Sorry, sorry, Luke, continue. No, Luke, as, you, as you were, Luke. Uh, well, but, like, Kill Bill and um, Death Proof, they were very much the warning signs of where Tarantino yes. was kind of hoping he would end up, uh, in the sense that, you know, his whole insistence that Kill Bill is one movie. Is bollocks. And the way that death proof was kind of initially shown as grindhouse yeah you know, part of one movie it was very much part of tarantino's stubborn and demanding belief that his movie should be you know three hours long and and unedited and indulged in every way possible in fairness he did he did lose his editor uh Salimenke, who did die uh no not True. to say no, that yeah, no he, i know i think his film you but, not, but not you to say could, luke but, is gonna but before Menka's death yeah. you can see you him can know you could see it you could kind of pushing it one wonders had she not died what would have happened mm-hmm. and once upon a time in hollywood is a very long and incredibly self-indulgent 161 minutes i can't deny that yes but i did find a lot of it very entertaining and i found because, because there's so much in it, there just by virtue of that, there is a lot of interesting stuff. I think this is Tarantino at his most personal and his most reflective in a very long time, if ever. What exactly you find when Tarantino is being self-reflective is kind of where people might... Mileage may vary. Yeah, very much so. And kind of Tarantino's specific approach in, in kind of self-examination might not be sufficient for everybody uh, in comparison for example to someone like Mark, Martin Scorsese who in self-reflection is very much kind of processing things about himself that you know he's guilty about yes, or, yeah, yeah. or things like that this is kind of Tarantino he's getting to the cusp of that point but I don't know if he's willing to, to kind of take it further but what's interesting about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is the ways in which it kind of looks at Hollywood itself as this kind of hub of kind of myth making and kind of you know rumor innuendo almost like has beens could have beens those yeah, yeah. kinds of people that are inclined to be drawn to this place and the way that they look at themselves through their work like Leonardo DiCaprio is playing this washed up cowboy actor and he kind of has this constant you know, self-aggrandizing melodrama about himself. Like, I'm quitting acting, I'm a terrible actor, but I need to be indulged all the time. That's kind of very much where he's at. Brad Pitt is his kind of stunt double that is basically his kind of gopher that kind of drives him around and and kind of looks after him. He's his best friend, but it's very much a... Dynamic, uh, dominant relationship. Yeah, Yeah. and, and, you know, um, that's... what, What I was kind of trying to parse as I was looking at the two of them and their relationship together is who is Tarantino putting himself in with the two of these because it's definitely you know it's, it's probably both of them to an extent but what is he is, is yeah. putting himself into with these and yeah some of that is very uh, uncomfortable they're like 
there are elements of this like Brad Pitt's character and his blacklisting from working as a stuntman in Hollywood and why that is is very uncomfortable in the context of where Tarantino is not only in his career but in the people that he's worked with in his career to get to this point and the kind of strong relationship that he's had with them. Yeah. The whole Weinstein thing does very much hang over this film. Obviously, he's produced... As it should, in some ways. like Right, but that's what I mean, where it, yeah. it feels like Tarantino is confronting that to a point, but I don't it's know that he's away. fully processed yeah, yeah. it himself. So, I mean, there are things in this that you're kind of left with Brad Pitt's character, for example, wondering what is the movie trying to say about this character, and therefore kind of stuff outside yeah. of the film but it's it's got some of Tarantino's best stuff on the wall a lot of the kind of middle section of the film uh, has I think some of Tarantino's best directed stuff okay. in a long time it's kind of this now I it's it's breezily paced shall we say that that kind of middle section but it's this kind of triptych where Brad Pitt's character is off at Spawn Ranch which is where the, the Manson family were kind of shack, shackled up for uh, the most late 60s. Yeah. DiCaprio is kind of in Last Chance Saloon as he's kind of struggling drunkenly to work through a meaningless guest star spot on a middling TV western. And Sharon Tate, uh, played by Margot Robbie, is kind of going through her day as a rising star. star. Yeah. But like it's, it's kind of more her day-to-day life that it's focused on she she goes to the movies she watches uh, herself on, on screen and the way that the movie kind of moves between these three stories and the way that the three stories kind of are going in the same direction as kind of this past present and future of a hollywood that's about to rapidly die out was quite interesting to watch um and the kind of different emotional sensibilities of these three characters shown in tandem was very interesting to watch you do have Tate, like, shown in this film, not with a lot of, as people have said, not with a lot of dialogue, but she's very much kind of shown as a person that is alive. You know, she's got a vibrancy to her. She's got a ease, and that comes through in Robbie's performance, that is very watchable. Yeah. When you're watching DiCaprio and Brad Pitt together, their very lived-in dynamic is, is also very kind of entertaining to watch it just it has this specter hanging over it all the time of where all this is going both if you know what this movie is purporting to be about and if you don't because of the the kind of the length of it um i don't know what people that don't that aren't familiar with the manson murders would get out of this because all of that is kind of it's a specter that looms over it but so loosely over it yeah. that if you if you're not familiar with it you're kind of like well, what's going on what is this where is this going and without getting into too much detail where it goes with it is kind of separate really from the character focused kind of breezy hangout vibe so the of the preceding kind of 2 hours <laughs> which I'm still kind of working through but I don't know that that necessarily works. I kind of it, it it is kind of this full stop on that kind of mediative what could have been and what you know what is and what isn't yeah. kind of thing. There's a lot of kind of stories in the film of stuff that 
didn't actually happen the way people thought that it happened or like for example uh, there's a there's a scene where DiCaprio talks to Timothy Oliphant um, about being in The Great Escape. Timothy Oliphant's like another TV actor, and he comes up to him and is like, "Oh, you were almost in The Great Escape, right? You were almost playing Steve McQueen's role." And you see DiCaprio digitally edited into scenes from from The Great Escape. It shows him doing McQueen's Jay's bit. Look of horror. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> But Tarantino is always a bit of a fantasist. In yeah, that like, I mean, but it's 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 showing that visually. But then DiCaprio is like, well, no, that that was never actually really going to happen. You know, that's kind of not the full truth. And that's interesting when you see it compared to Robbie watching uh, Sharon Tate movies um, when it's at the actual Tate. Yeah. So that kind of the play between the, what's actually real and what's not, and what's truth, and what's fiction, and what's half truths, and what's a little bit more complicated than people presume as shown you know through through movies and stuff it's kind of interesting to watch it's just i couldn't possibly fault anyone that watched this or or kind of looked at this and thought i don't really want to see tarantino work through all this stuff yeah yeah that's what therapists are for (laughs) (laughs) and he's not as if he can't afford it yeah i mean tarantino would be fucking errors with a therapist talking about the feet thing yeah stuff i know lots of feet i I will be seeing it next week and i will have seen it for the next i liked it i think it's more focused than his last two films that's a help that Uh, would not be difficult considering there was no focus and (laughs) i enjoyed the characters in this more than his his last couple of films but that you know that can go either way We'll see. I, I, Ronan has seen it and he will have his opinions next week, I suspect. As will I. Hopefully, Grace may or may not. Grace will not be seen. Oh, Grace There's a cute dog in this. I mean. Does Grace really want to sit for three hours watching. A cute dog. Watching Tarantino do this. Mm. <laughs> I would say. I would let mean, you know whether you should or not. If somebody. Belonging to me should happen to download it and give me a copy for free, then maybe I might allocate some time. That's the future, Grace. But I'm not paying to see it. All right, that's right. Okay, that's the top ten. Um, new releases. We've got uh, it's a relatively light week. Um, we'll we'll kick off with uh, Alexandra Ayers' Crawl, which I'm is very excited Yay. to see. I'm, do you know what? This there's a the touch word of, of mouth on this is, is really strong. There's a bit of a mix though. I. I've read a bit where it's starting to sound a bit like the Meg where people were had real expectations for good schlocky nonsense and then it was just shite but the uh, Meg I'm really way overplayed its hand it did no it did it absolutely did and this seems to be a little lower uh, in ambition in that regard it's not trying to sell it anything more than it's not well less Chinese interference presumably well indeed um, but this looks fun like Crawl could be good I'm kind of like, like I'm kind of in yes Definitely. Uh, yeah. If I can get over the Tarantino one, uh, this, this looks a little shorter. And the, the idea this of this might be uh, a good palate cleanse afterwards. Well, indeed, the, like the idea of a, like an alligator in a house in a calorie fire hurricane really yeah. sells the hell out of it. Like, I mean, but I'm also in. like fun, like murderous yeah. monster movies. We 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 don't get them that often. That's I mean, true. think of like you know your deep blue seas, your yeah. like placids that yeah. are all grey oh, crack. Stuff, yeah, I, no, I agree. I'm, I'm probably going. These are the kind of things I'm always hopeful there'll be another one. Yeah, I mean, Tarantino's movies got monsters in it. It's just <laughs> different. <laughs> They're different just human. Um, On screen and off. Indeed. Uh, the big kind of uh, art house movie of the week I guess is uh, Petro Almodovar's uh, Pain and Glory which opens in the IFI I think just exclusively and I I'm, I was talking to Ron about this I'm the last few years the Almodovar films that I've seen haven't really kind of hit for me 
because it's, it's kind of 90s, early 2000s heyday where I would have seen quite a few of his films were really, really strong. Uh, the Skin I Live In is possible exception, Ronan, which Ronan loves. I, I really like, but not quite as much. But it, it does have the kind of Antonio Banderas back in this one. And if this is a, a film of Banderas plays a, a filmmaker uh, consumed by memories of his impoverished childhood and his mother, who was played by the brilliant Penelope Cruz. And um, this looks interesting. I, the trailer for it is kind of terrible. The trailer uh, is awful. Yeah, and yeah. that's that's really disappointing. But it, it doesn't sell it at all. No, it doesn't. But Almodovar is generally fairly reliable, like to bring mm-hmm. a good uh, drama together. So well, I'm I'll see this. Um, but I probably have slightly lower expectations. That's this decade has kind of kept up with Almodovar. But then filmmakers don't go for it in that regard. Like the quality is tough to sustain, particularly at a pretty high quality for quite a long time in yeah. his career. So I'll I'll be there, but we we shall see. Um, speaking of films that I think pe- I won't be seeing if you put a gun to my head, uh, Angel has fallen. Uh, <laughs> this is a remarkable cast actually. Uh, Jared Butler who's terrible, and memorably miscast as himself in the Hugo Boss ads. Um, <laughs> uh, he's in that with Morgan Freeman, Jada Pinkett Split, Pinkett Smith. Smith. Uh, Lance Reddick, Tim Blake Nelson, Piper Perabo, Nick Nolte, and Danny Houston. That's a strong cast. I'm oh. never seeing it, but that's a strong cast. I guarantee you, Piper will have nothing to do. And she'll be either. shot halfway through for Jared to get. Or angry she'll be then. taken as a hostage. I have in some seen London. That's the second one. Fall. I think Olympus is the first. It's the only one I've seen. Which yeah. is terrible. London has fallen. Is one of the, it's a terrible action movie. It yeah, it really looks brat. is. I didn't. Uh, I didn't want to see it. Uh, well, some of the worst dialogue I've ever heard in an action movie like go back to Fuckedistan was I think, oh the god <laughs> yeah I lost the will to live Man, I that, that's bad that's some right dialogue I've right giggled at the trailer for this multiple times for it's kind of big revelation halfway through that you're finally going to get to see the father of fucking what's his name <laughs> Folly Fallon or whatever the fuck I have no idea who he is <laughs> like, all I know is that when like as if it's something that matters at all yeah yeah you know. it's like is he played by Michael Caine or something is that what it is um, he's played you by somebody you would not be surprised well is it, is it one of the ones I've listed uh, maybe Nick, Nick Nolte, Nolte. Yeah. yeah Nick Nolte's the only one of age that could probably do it I like Nick Nolte but uh, he's turned up in so much trash over the years and this looks like another uh, he's playing Secret Service uh, agent White Mike Banning's dad White House Down was a superior take. I didn't like this. that either, but it is better than Olympus of Fallen, it's which very is very entertaining. Uh, no, no, I'm going to okay. say no. Computer says no. Great. Okay, uh, okay. It's just a presumption that anyone wants this that I find so. Confusing. It's mar- but it probably because someone right must that. be going to see it to justify. Them I don't think they're the biggest budgets uh, I mean, but the, in the world. They're done cheaply, I, but it looks. About. I know you can get them done cheaply, cheaply, but the the marketing for it, like. Angel has fallen, and oh my God, Jared Butler! How's he going to get it? Like, who <laughs> is this? I don't guy? even care about Jared Butler. Like, Somewhere never mind his there. character. Like, I, if Jared Butler fell into a ravine, I'd nonplussed. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, there, there's somewhere someone really invested in this. The way Darryl, I'm really invested I, in the Fast and Furious movies, and they are living for this. Insane, they are going to have a great day. <laughs> yes, they are. God help them in the cinema on his own. Whoever he is, not to in any way compare these movies to the of course not the masterpieces that are fast vastly and furious superior Fast and Furious. Tokyo movies. Drift, sorry, something might choke there. Even Tokyo the Drift worst has film its ever merits. made. No, it doesn't. Um, that's woeful. Hmm. That should have derailed every franchise, any franchise. It did That should have stopped Hollywood completely. <laughs> and another, it's another giggling moment in the trailer is, is when Jared Butler says to Morgan Freeman, "Like people are gonna fall." <laughs> oh, stop, stop, stop! As stop, if stop. the falling is 
I'm like not integral to this, yeah. this series. Oh, somebody's fell. It's the, the, the titular the fall. <laughs> <laughs> They've fallen. Look at them. They've fallen. What is Angel the code name for? Oh, who cares? Jared Butler, I guess. Okay, He's such mind. an angel. He's never the mind. guardian angel of the world. For the president. <laughs> I hope he gets killed in the film. Um. Anyway, I've never seen this. Uh, last, but probably not least, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Oh, I'm kind of intrigued by this Which one is too. the girl that Homer produced... Andre Ovredal directed Who Made Trollhunter, which I really enjoyed, actually. A uh, film of a uh, a group of teens fo- happened upon an old book in an abandoned mansion. All classic tropes. Yep. And he awakened the gruesome monsters from within the tales. Uh, this could be I good. Really this like could be this. terrible. I don't really know how to... I'm My taking it. sister saw it yesterday. She said it was very, very good. Cool. Okay. I think the reviews are solid enough actually from when I got her reading during the week because uh, the Thor was due to direct it at some point and didn't so that probably makes him better because he's not a very good director <laughs> anyway that's, that's just there's my hot take I'm not there. a Del Toro fan sadly um, so I'll probably see that because I'd much prefer Troll Hunter in that regard so I'll, I, I'm happy I'd be happy enough to catch this I think uh, so they'll take that I, take. I like the premise of this I remember yeah, reading about it and thinking this is like if they had taken do you remember Are You Afraid of the Dark? Uh, I no. think this was kind of. I think it was like a series of books or like. Yeah, a, yeah. I think you're probably right. That's yeah. what I was thinking because you know how like Are You Afraid of the Dark and Goosebumps to an extent it's like yeah. this anthology series of sort yeah. of short stories. Yeah. And this that that's what this put me in mind of like if okay. somebody because I, I think the book is kind of just a collection of short stories, isn't it? So yes. it's like you just take yeah. them, put them in a premise, and film them all. And, and I'm like, I am in principle absolutely down for that. Horror mm-hmm. aimed towards younger audience is interesting because you don't have the same crutches to kind of lean on yeah and can have much more playful because yeah. it can be a bit messier with it like that and, and it can that be kind a of lot better yeah no, because they have to work harder to yes. make it scary and darker as well yeah because like, you yeah. can't just chop a hand off for no apparent yeah. reason and be like ah scream yeah. the only way we can get teens to read is by giving them haunted books <laughs> hey whatever <laughs> it takes whatever it takes Anyway, that was that was a, a good podcast. That was good, solid work, everyone. I'm very proud. Well done, everyone. I'm going to give out gold stars after we start press <laughs> stop. You. Well done, Luke. Well done, Grace. Thank well done, you. everyone. We will talk to you next week. Later. Bye. Bye.